I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. All right, welcome back to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. So this week we have Alicia Tay back in part two of her recovery story. Hey, Alicia. Hey, we're back. (laughs) We are back. I'm so excited to continue talking with you. So many people reached out and really loved the episode last week. So let's do it. Awesome. Let's keep going. Let's keep going for sure. Why don't we talk a little bit about how you made the choice to recover? What exactly drove you towards the light, so to speak, and why? That's such a good question. I think for me... Growing up, or if you listen to part one, you understand a little bit about my childhood. I think for me, the biggest part was a very rude awakening of realizing that no one was coming to save me. So it was growing up alone, reaching out for help, but not getting help. And that very early taught me that I have to be the one to hold my own hand. I have to learn to teach and parent myself, essentially, how to get myself out of these tricky situations, how to come out of the pain on top, which was really, really difficult. I had no idea what I was doing, but it was very, very empowering. I started Googling books. Yeah, I started Googling books. I looked up YouTube channels on literally how to make small talk, how to make friends from the basics. And I think something that we don't talk about is these life skills, they're so essential. We learn about how to do math and how to measure sciencey things, but we don't learn these skills. So that's kind of where I started, pre-diagnosis. Post-diagnosis, it reminds me a lot of your story, Rhodes, when you were saying that you and Jay broke up twice. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was me with, with my partner. Um, so... This was around last year or so. We had already broken up twice for a week, but then gotten back together. And I was really in the throes of BPD. He had no idea what to do. There was a lot of trauma, I guess, from from my last relationship. The fear of abandonment and that sort of thing got triggered when he would take time to go play games or just do something by, by himself and... It right, was like, like leave your space, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I would panic. It was this terror of like, please don't leave me. And so because he was a really kind and caring person, he would sacrifice that for me. He would be like, you know, it's okay. Like, I just won't play games tonight and we can just hang out. And he'd be like, oh, thank goodness, that's short-term relief. But then over time, you know, because he's not taking care of himself, how can he take care of me? Or how can right. he take care of the relationship? So it reminds me of a lot of what you were saying in that you are no longer a partner. You essentially become a child and it's this um, caretaker sort of relationship. So he was tired. I was really spiky, I guess. Um, (laughs) And both of us didn't know what to do. We were extremely exhausted. There was a lot of devaluing in terms of when I was splitting It was Mm -hmm. like having a tantrum. So you've got the anger and rage of like a really angry kid, but it comes out through an adult voice. So I turned into a monster and he was scared of me. 
and I was scared of myself. I was in and out of hospital. And essentially we got to a breaking point where we decided to split and take a break to save the relationship. Because if it meant that we took, you know, a few weeks off to work on ourselves, but then come back together better, um, that, that would help us in, in the long run. So it started off to get him back. That was my choice. Well, that's what pushed me to recover. It started off to get him back, but then it turned into getting myself back and building that identity. So, and I, I kind of equivalent, like equate it to working out, you know, people work out to get the abs and get super lean, but then they realize that working out is, makes them feel really good, helps them sleep better. They can concentrate more and all these other benefits come along with it. And that's okay. It's okay to start off by working out for the vanity, but as long as it becomes something more intrinsic, something more internal, something that's more sustaining. And I think working on yourself is your best project. So that's kind of how, how it evolved. Yeah, absolutely. So then, if we're talking to people who, you know, are looking to find the motivation that you and I found and they are not in a relationship because they've broken up with that person, you know, would you say that it's a good idea that they find their motivation through the, this idea that like one day they're going to have a relationship and so they want to, they should be prepared for that or what, you know, what do you make of that? I think so. I think it it sounds a bit strange, but I like the idea of working on yourself. Yes, for yourself, but it's also one of the best gifts that you can give to your partner. Mm-hmm. I think that that's really, really romantic. Even if you don't have a partner, work on yourself. So when you do meet them, and eventually you will, humans are social creatures where we're drawn to each other. You will meet someone. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's awesome. But if that's not really in your cards or that's not what you're looking for, recover for yourself. Recover to be part of a purpose that is bigger than yourself and bigger than your own life. Yeah, And that is really compelling for me. So Mm -hmm. it keeps me going. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I just think, you know, it's such a broad concept and I know a lot of people reach out to me and they're just not there yet so if you're not Mm -hmm. there yet what where you know what Alicia's talking about what I'm talking about just know that eventually one day you're going to have a relationship and you're going to be in relationship either it could be a friendship or to improve a familial relationship or Mm -hmm. to improve you know romantic relationship so even if you don't have similar stories to she and I it's still important that you find your own motivation through this idea that, yeah, eventually we're social beings and you'll need some around someone around you. And you don't want to be, I said this yesterday and it was kind of harsh, but it's true. You know, you don't, they don't want to date mental patients. Your partner, your future partner doesn't want to date someone who's in and out of a hospital. That's mm-hmm. not what they, you know, are, are getting themselves into, right? When mm-hmm. you're in a relationship with someone and you go into a mental hospital, that's scary for that person because they're like, oh my gosh, like what? I don't even know how to react or respond. So yeah, I just wanted to take a moment and talk about, you know, your motivation. And that would be the motivation to, to detach from mm. borderline, right? A hundred percent. And in terms of relationships, 
I like to think of it, it's not 50-50, it's 100-100. So you need to be set by yourself. And this sounds so like corny. Of course, she's going to say this, like love yourself first. But really, <laughs> in terms of BPD, you have to, because if you don't have your identity and core concept of who you are, that's when favorite person comes in. That's where splitting comes in. That's where fear right. of abandonment comes in. And you cannot afford that. Like life is too short to be to hitch your cart on someone else's bandwagon because if they leave you go with them and you cannot afford that you're on this world and on this planet for a bigger purpose that got really deep but we're going for it (laughs) yeah no you're that's I couldn't have said it better awesome okay so the second half of that question was how do you find motivation to do things differently with the trauma history and that, you know, that we talked about last week and the lack of skills riding against you. But it seems like for you, it was that initially you were highly motivated to get back together with your, your partner, right? Mm. I think it was also the notion of not being able to be in pain anymore. Mm-hmm. I just got to a breaking point. And I think a lot of people with BPD experience that you just get to a point, you're like, I'm so done. I'm so yeah. done of feeling like crap. I'm so done of being in and out of the hospital and wanting to end my life. Like, I don't want to be this way anymore. And if I don't change, if I don't get out of bed and actually make a change, nothing is going to change. And it was just that point of, like, I can't take it anymore. And I think, you know, if we were to go a bit further on it, change doesn't happen uh, just kind of when you want it to. I find that a lot of time people need to reach a crescendo, a breaking point, because humans don't do, well, that's what I found, humans don't do mm-hmm. what doesn't work for them, if that makes sense. If something, if they're getting some sort of emotional payout or physical payout from something, they're going to keep doing it until that no longer serves them. So for me, it was realizing that actually being in and out of hospital, although it was painful, the emotional payout was that I got attention from people around me. You know, they Mm -hmm. were concerned for me. They talked to me and they were meeting needs. So I kept engaging in that behavior until the benefits outweighed the cons. And that's when I was like, yep, time to change. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And that kind of goes right into our next question of, excuse me what other treatments did you try so we talked a little bit about this last week but you know what what's the thing that works for you work for you Mm -hmm. um things that I am doing now is I am engaging in schema therapy so I've got a psychologist she's awesome um (laughs) I can't really say too much yeah I can't really say too much on what schema therapy is but that's what I'm doing so, you know, if you want to talk a little about it. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So schema therapy is basically, you know, the underlying theory of schema focused therapy is, is that our childhood or when our childhood basic needs are not met, such as the need for safety, acceptance and love, when they're met inadequately or not met at all, we develop these kind of like unhealthy ways of interpreting and interacting with the world. And those become called, right, like maladaptive early schemas. So if we look at, if you think about other episodes that I've done, and I've talked about how, you know, maybe you were born with this hyperbolic temperament, and you have 
parents who either didn't parent well or early childhood caregivers who are abusive or just who weren't equipped with the skills to handle a child who is hypersensitive or hyperbolic, then, you know, in the child's perception, their needs would have been met inadequately or not at all if the parents or the early childhood caregivers were actually abusive. So you develop these we call them, Jay and I call them formulas, right? Just bad formulas or, you know, old formulas that just aren't working for you. In schema therapy, they call them maladaptive early schemas. So you have to, you know, really figure out through schema therapy, what happened to you? Why do you act the way that you act? And let's change this narrative, right? Mm. I, I wonder if it's, if it plays a part in the storytelling kind of thing. So, it's the stories you tell yourself and in your opinion, do you think it plays some sort of protective role? Yeah, absolutely. I I think it does for sure. I also think though it's, you know, you have an experience of the world and then you are now matching your behavior to that experience, right? So you're going to engage in maladaptive patterns of behavior as a direct result of having needs that aren't met. Mm -hmm. Right. So the, the story that you tell yourself or the story that you play out, which is the schema, right. Is maladaptive because of what you experienced. Yeah. It's that distorted view of the events in our lives that, maintain the how valid these schemas are is that kind of what you're saying yes absolutely yeah mm-hmm. yeah well so that's that really was... summed it up for me <laughs> <laughs> so that's what you've been doing yeah essentially see if <laughs> if I tried to explain that I would not I would have been like yeah it's it's the storytelling I would have had no idea but yeah schema therapy has been really really helpful it helps me to understand why I do the things that I do and it really helps me get in touch to that that little that little leash of me when I was a child because of the trauma that I went through and it's it's a really lovely feeling to just reconnect with that younger version of yourself it's awesome oh yeah absolutely you know and the maladaptive schemas that individuals with borderline personality disorder display are some of the things that are kind of worked on in treatment. And I know that you're, I'm going to make the assumption or leap that the person that you're working with hasn't exactly told you that that's like the definition of the treatment, because it's not always something that has to be talked about, right? In those kinds Mm. of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like in the context of a session it may not be the most important part so it kind of gets left out but I am pretty sure that my psychologist has told me uh, I've just forgotten (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) um yeah I wanted to talk about medication Ooh, hot topic Ooh, medication okay yeah, yeah for sure before we get into medication though because we brought up you know, schema therapy, I'm just going to give a few examples of what this would look like with, you know, if somebody, so if you're out there and you're interested in schema therapy, um, just know that there are certain maladaptive or unhealthy early schemas that you may have issues with, for example, like shame or defectiveness is one. So if you believe that you're Yep, abandonment. So if you believe that you're fundamentally unlovable, then you may sabotage your relationship because you're afraid of being abandoned or, you know, social isolation. 
So if you hold a schema or a narrative that, you know, you're separate or you're unaccepted in the world, then you're going to be have this tendency to isolate yourself from others. So those are just two examples of, you know, the, these maladaptive schemas. So in a therapeutic relationship, like what Alicia, you're, you're doing, your mm-hmm. therapist will Id- help you identify these maladaptive schemas so that you can then create or replace those schemas with adaptive ways of behaving in the world, which is the same thing like that, you know, I'm talking about in terms of formulas, creating new formulas. So I just wanted to put that out there for everyone. Alicia, it's so wonderful that you brought up schema <laughs> therapy. Thank you. You're welcome. It's, it's awesome. I think it's nice to talk about different psychotherapies that are out there because DP, DBT is a very talked about therapy and I think to my understanding it is gold standard so for people with BPD like that's the go-to but sometimes the gold standard doesn't work for everyone or it's helpful if you have different strategies from different therapies to build your own kind of little custom toolbox so I think it's great to try different therapies especially when you are working with a licensed therapist such as yourself Rose they can help you guide they can help guide you through that process in a very safe way so yeah Yeah, absolutely (laughs) absolutely you said it the best right the gold standard is not going to work for everyone so you know I'm really glad to have taken that opportunity to explain a new type of treatment because if you're out there and you're doing DPT DBT and it's not working for you you're not defective here's again we're going back to that defectiveness schema right Mm. you know you're not there's nothing it's not necessarily that something's wrong with you it might mean that that's not the treatment for you or maybe you need more tools like Alicia said in your toolbox awesome so let's talk about medication go for it medication (laughs) (laughs) um hot topic or hot take my experiences have been negative with medication almost all of them have been negative I will say though um, I was on mood stabilizers and uh, my mood was very stabilized. So I guess they've done their job. But in terms of my negative experience, it was this feeling of not being myself, if that makes sort of sense. I wanted to feel the ups and downs because growing up, that's all I felt. So actually going through the roller coasters of ups and downs made me feel like myself. It's not that I didn't want to feel them and be Mm -hmm. on mood stabilizers I just wanted to have a cushion or a safety net which was the toolbox of skills to get myself out of the low so I still wanted to experience I still wanted to be sensitive I still wanted to feel all the feelings I just wanted to be safe and I wanted to get out of the lows when I was in the lows so in my experience medication hasn't always been the help like the most helpful I think in really acute highly distressing moments it has definitely kept me safe but long term it was this feeling of not being myself so I turned away from it but Mm -hmm. what I did do because I wasn't getting the help from medication I upped my psychotherapy um, support I instead of going to counseling once a week I went twice a week instead of seeing my psychologist once a fortnight I went once a week so Having that balance, I think, and uh, making sure that you are getting support in other areas if medication doesn't work for you is critical. That's what really, really helped me get out of it. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that you said that, you know, that you upped your, you know, the, you know, you increased the frequency that you Mm. saw your providers, essentially, that's, you know, a really amazing substitute, especially so medication, you know, I've talked about this before, I'm highly against aggressive polypharmacy, which means that I am just when people tell me that they're on several different medications for borderline personality disorder, it just is it's disturbing, honestly, because there is no medication that treats borderline personality disorder. And also, right, it's just wearing and taxing on your body. It creates metabolic syndrome. So if metabolic syndrome, again, is when, you know, you basically let's just, you know, I'll sum it up to you gain weight and gain a lot of weight over time and you cannot even change your dietary habits and be gaining that weight, which causes a host of other issues, right? Mm. So to me, you know, I think if you're out there and you're on one medication and that works for you, awesome. If you're on multiple medications and you're still not able to stop splitting, then maybe you should think about, you know, or consider another option, another route or why you're taking that to begin with. Absolutely. Like, there's no pill that can cure fear of abandonment. (laughs) That's it's way too complex. It's way too multi dimensional. There are so many different factors from it. And a pill just isn't going to do it. Absolutely. It can fix like, yeah, it can fix the depression or Mm -hmm. perhaps calm the anxiety or help you sleep better, which can help you then tackle the the fear of abandonment but to say or to hope that a pill is just gonna cure everything that's a little bit bit too optimistic I'd say (laughs) a bit unrealistic (laughs) absolutely I mean the approach that Jay and I take is a holistic approach it's funny because yesterday so we're homeschooling our son with all this happening we didn't want to do virtual schooling but he is Jay is doing like mindset coaching with our son, which is so really cool because I was a single mom, right? So now my son gets to relearn the stuff that I'm teaching people. So Jay is doing this. And, you know, yesterday I kind of listened in in their, you know, quote unquote classroom. And he's talking about how in order to have this positive perspective and to have an emotionally healthy outlook, you need to have your mindset down pat, right? You need to work on having a positive mindset so that you can handle obstacles. You need to work on having good nutrition, um, sleep hygiene, drinking water. So you have to work on your body and then, you know, spirituality, you know, whatever your belief system is, you have to work on being a part of that, reading whatever books you need to read, praying, feeling connected, praying, whatever, right? Yeah. Being connected, whatever that means for you. So mind, body and spirit are the three, you know, I guess, domains that you can try to improve your life in. And that becomes in our, you know, way of being that becomes the recovery, not the medication, right? Maybe the medication helps you along. But like you said, Alicia, working out, eating healthy, connecting Mm -hmm. with other people, you know, having this positive mindset, reading can't hurt me by David Goggins. That's essentially (laughs) what you're doing, right? The stuff that you know, we're kind of talking about. Yeah. Oh, I would love to be part of that classroom. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Where can I, know, I sign I up? Like, I wish I had that. If you and I had that, Alicia, we probably wouldn't be talking today. Are you currently struggling to stay afloat? Are you looking for more one-on-one support and guidance on your recovery journey? 
check out thriveonlinecounseling.com. We offer mindset coaching that will propel your recovery journey forward. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Have phone, video, or text sessions wherever you are. The best part? You can schedule right from our website. Choose the day and time that works best for you. Life can be better. We can help. Make an investment in yourself. You are worth it. All right. So last question is, what tips do you have for someone out there struggling? So like I said a moment ago, you know, my way isn't the only way. I'm completely aware of that. So I'm always giving tips for people of what they can do. But from from your perspective, what are things that you, you know, are saying to people, you're struggling, like, I want to provide you hope? Oh, where do I begin on this? <laughs> I've got like a list. So I want to start off my little tip list. That sounds weird. Um, my list by a story, a story that's really resonated with me. And disclaimer, I'm not the best storyteller, so bear with. But it's the story of the tiger and the string. And I first heard the story by Daniel Fox. And it could be like a lion. I'm not sure if it's a lion or a tiger, but. We'll, we'll go with Tiger for now. Um, <laughs> but I heard it from Daniel Fox, and I don't know if you guys know who he is, yep. but he is a BPD or uh, personality disorder specialist, and he's based in Texas, so very far away from me. But he has um, a YouTube channel, and that's how I found him, and he pumps out really good content. So he was sharing this story of hope for people with BPD in that when – Baby cubs are taken from the wild and put into a circus back in the day. They would tie them up to a pole with string. And these baby tigers are like, what the heck? And they'd pull and pull and pull and fight and fight and fight. And every time they would fight, they would get whipped. Mm-hmm. And they would fight and get whipped and whipped and whipped and whipped. And that whipping was descriptive of the invalidating environments that a lot of people with BPD grow up in so eventually these tigers learn that fighting gets you hurt and that you should just stay quiet and that you know you're no good and you might as well not even try so he goes on to continue that these tigers grow up to be huge powerful creatures and they can easily rip like rip this string apart but because they've they've been whipped they don't try And so he was trying to convey this message of you are the tiger. You have been conditioned this way to believe that you're not good enough and that there is no hope for you, but there is. You just need to believe it. Mm -hmm. Believe that you can break the string. You can break the chains and you are this tiger. So that was a story that I heard that changed the game for me and I hold it dear to my heart because it reminds me just how much power I do have over my life you know we are the captains of our own ship and we really can make that choice to recover it really is a choice so it's being able to believe that you can and then being resource as resourceful as you can to get the support to do it but first step is to believe that you can and you can you can do it (laughs) we're living proof (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> okay, so with that story done, the end, um, I wanted to go into a few points. So first one is kind of t- tough, but realizing that no one is coming to save you, period, point wow. blank. Because yep. no one is obligated to come and save you. And even if they could try and they wanted to, they couldn't. Because everyone has their own stuff going on. It's just not possible. So point number one, again, you are the captain of your own ship. It is your choice and yours alone. That's amazing advice. Thank you so much. Mic drop, right? No one's coming <laughs> to save you. No one is. It's not going to No happen. one. Yep. Yeah. Point two, your identity is key. And Mm -hmm. the only person responsible for your life is you. Yes, you've been hurt, but what now? You know, every Mm -hmm. choice that you make will be a vote for or against the person you want to be. So use Rose's tips. Use her guide on building your identity and your moral compass because that will be your guiding light and your guiding ship out of it. Because like Rose says, we when we feel these really intense emotions, so intense that we actually believe that our feelings are truth, we are not in the mindset to make decisions that are helpful for us when we're really emotionally aroused and we're in this heightened state of right. of yeah, just emotion. So having that moral compass and doing that work will be your backup and your guide so something else that's really helpful that's helped me is disassociating myself from the BPD um how can I explain this it's right so not dissociating like <laughs> like, like out. No, disconnecting no, no, no. yes yes okay Dis- yeah. disconnecting so I like to call my BPD brain Steve I'm sorry for anyone out there who has the name Steve (laughs) but my my BPD brain is called Steve and Mm -hmm. I like to separate it because it it reminds me that I am my own person and I'm not my BPD so it helps me to have that really strong moral compass and also separate guilt from shame so what I've learned is that guilt is I've done a bad thing Shame mm-hmm. is I am a bad person and they are mm-hmm. very, very different. Just because you have BPD, just because you've lashed out, just because you've said something hurtful doesn't make you a bad or hurtful person. It just means you've done a bad or hurtful thing. Exactly. And I know a lot of people with BPD have that shame and that shame can be crippling. Like it crushed me for so long and I, mm-hmm. I was honestly my biggest critic. So being able to separate the guilt from shame and me from the BPD helped me, I guess, realize and keep in the forefront of my mind that I am worthy of recovery. I am worthy of being here. And I'm not my BPD. Amazing. Um, I love yeah. that. That is so important, you know, that you are not your BPD You don't have to think about whether or not you should tell your partner whether, you know, that you have BPD or this new person that you're dating or your employer or whether or not you should explain over and over and over again to the person you're in relationship with what borderline personality disorder is. Disconnect from it. You are Mm -hmm. someone who is struggling with borderline personality disorder. That's not who you are. You're going to recover from it. And, you know, I think that something amazing that you said, Alicia, was that every choice that you make is either going to lead you closer to recovery or further away, right? Mm -hmm. 
I love that. That is just so powerful. Thank you so much. You You're welcome. Any other, anything else for our listeners? Yeah, I've got more. <laughs> oh, let's go. I've got I more. Yeah. Um, so sleep. Let's talk about sleep. Okay. It has been pretty much apart from like food and water, sleep has been such mm-hmm. a critical part of my recovery. I already get hangry when I'm hungry, but you combine like hangry with like sleepy leash and it's just not, not a good, not a good recipe because you can't think clearly. Right. And when you're trying to get yourself out of a tantrum, you need to pull out all the tools from your toolbox and apply them to the situation. And that takes energy. It takes mental power, brain power. And if you're really hungry or you're really tired you can't think clearly. So give yourself um, as much – I'm, like, losing my words. It's okay. <laughs> Have the capacity to actually tackle the situations because if you don't have enough fuel in your tank, you can't get out of these tantrums. Does that, does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Practice yeah. good sleep hygiene. I think Jay yeah. talked about this on previous episodes. You know, part of it is like the phone, right? Turn your phone off. Don't binge watch Netflix, like things mm-hmm. like that. Practice good sleep hygiene and eat when you're hungry. You know, I, mm-hmm. that's such a great point. I have so many people and they'll, they'll say to me, well, I haven't eaten all day and I'm anxious. Well, of course you haven't. You're anxious. <laughs> so how do we know whether or not you're anxious because you're, you have low blood sugar and you haven't eaten all day. So you have no mm-hmm. fuel or like versus you actually being anxious, right? Yeah, 100%. Like, at least have the fundamentals, right? So you can rule it all out. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, like, that's such a good point of having the tank full and ready to go. So you can pull the tools from your toolbox and do what you need to do to calm yourself down and work through these situations. Give yourself that, that fuel to do it. So sleep is such a big thing for me. But also, mm-hmm. yes, food, water, exercise, critical. Have the foundations set and then go from there. Because, yeah, if you don't have a strong foundation, everything's just going to be crum- crumbling down. Um, yeah. Next point. I've got, like, four more. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> point four. Find the power in pain because suffering will always be there. Absolutely recovery is just a shit show (laughs) it's up it's down it's left and right you're going upside down bad days are just going to happen bad weeks are going to happen you know life just throws you everywhere at once to just because it can and it's about you finding a way to use it to your advantage and that's why I really like David Goggins because he did that he made pain his bitch (laughs) he's got this concept called the jar of fuck and that's not me being crude but he actually calls it like the jar of fuck and Mm -hmm. when he's in these depths of hell and pain he reaches into his kind of cookie jar and he pulls out these accomplishes uh, accomplishments that he's achieved you know he survived two hell weeks in the navy seal where a guy died and he survived it two mm-hmm. of them you know who who can do that kind of stuff he can and so having that jar of fuck and 
finding ways to use the pain as power. That was really, really, really important for me because, yeah, it's pain is just going to happen. It's just about choosing your shit sandwich, as Mark Manson likes to say. (laughs) (laughs) Problems are going to happen, you know, whichever course or road that you take, there will always be problems. It's just about choosing which problems you want. Yep, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you, I just want to point out to you that you're doing that right now, right? Just on, being on this podcast, you have transformed your life of pain mm-hmm. into a life of power. So not just David Goggins advice, everybody, but take Alicia's advice. Oh, you know, you. anybody who is, <laughs> has been through a traumatic experience, you know, they'll say, Jay says this, he says, every day is a good day. Once you've been through something, that's really traumatic and you, you know, you come out on the other side, how can you have a bad day? I can't have bad days because my Mm. bad days were suicidal days. You know, my bad days were when I was, you know, in a mental hospital, you know, waiting Mm -hmm. for someone to come and love me. So, you know, nothing is really ever going to be able to touch that. So yeah, if you, you know, say, if you want to do it the way that David Goggins does it, awesome but you can just also think of Alicia and anyone else out there (laughs) yeah yeah that and that brings me to my next point is look to people who have recovered because we are living proof of it yes that's it (laughs) absolutely look to people who have recovered and don't say to yourself right like I can't do that I can't be them why can't you you can be them like me and Alicia live in different parts of the world she lives in Australia I'm in the United States right like Mm-hmm. We are different people with different lives who have done the same thing. So why can't you? Because it's hard. Well, find your power in pain. Do it mm-hmm. because why wouldn't you want to recover? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like assuming we're, we're all relatively healthy adults here. We've got another like 80 years to go. Yeah. So you might as well enjoy it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And my last point is the importance of courage and it reminds me of, um, I think, was it last episode when you played that Jocko Willink little clip about stepping? Yep. That was so important. And I'm rereading um, a Brene Brown book. <laughs> I'm such a sucker <laughs> for this. Um, called Darren Greatly. And she likes to talk about how every time you are stepping into that space of being vulnerable, it's very uncomfortable and it can be painful and it really is like going into a really cold pool and you're like oh I hate it but every time you do it it makes you that little bit braver and it gets a little bit easier and it you work that muscle just a little bit more mm-hmm. and it's that tool that I use in my toolbox quite a lot actually to to yeah really take part in life because I find when I was in the throes of BPD, I was scared to live because of all, you know, not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy. What if I'm rejected? But having that courage and being able to say like, look, if this fails, at least I've got a great story to tell. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. And at least I've got an experience and something that, that I can share. So I did things like signing up for pole dancing, um, joining a salsa club and hip-hop club at uni, which, by the way, I really, I cannot stress (laughs) enough, I cannot dance. (laughs) But that's what I did. I was like, 
I am so scared of this, but I'm just going to go for it. Best case scenario, I come out all, all sexy and, and I can salsa dance. Worst case scenario, I've got a great story to tell. And that's yeah. it. And knowing that you, you'll be okay. You'll be okay at the end of it. It's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. You'll be okay. That's really powerful. Yeah. A lot of people think that bravery means just doing something, right? It means that it means that you can do anything. But bravery, actually, the definition is that is doing something in the face of fear, like being afraid of something and doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. So people who are brave aren't these fearless people. That's what I was trying to say. Goodness. They're <laughs> people who are brave are actually people who are scared and they do it anyway. Right. Every week when I release a podcast episode, I have to be brave because I'm talking to thousands of people and sometimes I mess things up and sometimes I talk in hyperbole still and I, you know, like I'll make mistakes. So it takes bravery. Alicia being on the podcast today. It's not like she woke up and she's just fearless. I'm sure you have a little bit of anxiety, right? Oh, no, no, no. I was doing like jumping jacks and push-ups before. I was real nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So you're brave. Being brave. So be brave if you're out there. Be brave. Be scared. You can be scared. Mm -hmm. This process is a very scary thing. But we're saying do it anyway. Because once you can face your fear and overcome one step at a time all of these obstacles, then you can look back at yourself and you can go, I did that. I can recover. I am capable. But it takes one small act of bravery over and over and over again for you to be able to do that. And once you start on that path, there is no going back. Once you learn that being brave is a thing, you will not want to give that up. Mm. And it's also just remembering like, you have nothing to lose. If recovery, for whatever reason, goes right. terribly <laughs> wrong, you can always go back to your old habits. Like, you can always go back to be struggling with BPD and doing what you normally do. But what if you take this chance and it goes really well? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's some really great advice. And you have such a powerful story, Alicia. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. (laughs) It's been (laughs) awesome just to talk and share and hopefully give some hope for people out there. You really are not alone. Yeah, for sure. You're definitely not alone. All Mm -hmm. right, Alicia. Well, I would love to have you back on. Um, We'll talk. We'll you know, talk more again in the future. So for today, everybody, that's the end of this episode. Okay, thanks for listening. That was from Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Thrive Mind Body LLC, online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from the last episodes, and I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. We'll have all those links in the show description. 
Okay, we made it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rose Skeeters, and I'll be back next week with another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Talk to you then.